Ron DeSantis spreads hatred and division, then hands out guns to everyone. The NAACP had to issue a travel advisory this year for Florida, saying it is no longer safe for African-Americans. And then he wonders why he gets booed during a vigil Sunday honoring the victims of a racist shooting in Jacksonville. Words and politics have consequences. When will Republicans learn that? This is the mop-up for August 28th, 2023. I'm David Feldman. Jeffrey Tubin, the incredible legal analyst who explains the law clearly and simply, Jeffrey Tubin has an article in Airmail where he talks about the recently indicted Kenneth Cheesebro, one of the 19 defendants down in Georgia, about to go on trial for attempting to overturn the 2020 presidential election. Tubin attended Harvard Law with Kenneth Cheesebro, along with President Barack Obama. And Tubin remembers Cheesebro as a slightly built nerd who kept to himself and was under the spell of Professor Lawrence Tribe, a bastion of liberal thought at Harvard Law School. Cheesebro was very competitive. During final exams, he brought in two typewriters in case one broke, according to Tubin, and one of his fellow students was taking the test, and her typewriter broke and asked to borrow Kenneth Cheesebro's, and he said, it's a dog-eat-dog world here at Harvard Law. You're on your own. Ambition, pure ambition. But Cheesebro, according to Tubin, was living a, a quiet, unassuming life. He got divorced and practiced law in Cambridge, Massachusetts. But according to Jeffrey Tubin, something happened to Cheesebro. He made a huge bet on cryptocurrency early in 2014 and ended up with millions. Tubin says Cheesebro, then in his 60s, began to change. He got engaged to a woman who had just turned 21. He was in his 60s, and he began flying her all over the world, with or without him. He bought an amazing apartment in New York City, and his politics went south. He went from an Obama supporter to a Trump supporter and ended up drafting the legal, memo, legal memos that became the foundation for the phony elector scheme. Something happens to these incredibly ambitious overachievers, especially the ones poisoned by Harvard Law School. They feel they're entitled to more. And when they're unhappy, they can't understand it. I did everything I was supposed to do. I, I went to Harvard Law. I went to Yale Law. I'm still miserable. Ron DeSantis, the, the virulent racist and homophobe, Ron DeSantis, Harvard Law, Yale Law. What's wrong? Why am I still so miserable? And they lash out. They lash out because of their sense of entitlement. They go insane. And that is what is clearly happening to Vivek Ramaswamy. Vivek Ramaswamy is also a Harvard Law School graduate. He claims to be worth billions, but he is so obviously miserable and desperate, he will say and do whatever it takes to please Donald Trump, just like Kenneth Cheesebro, Harvard Law, 
saying and doing whatever it takes to please Donald Trump. Ramaswamy wants to be Donald Trump's running mate. Here is Donald Trump over the weekend talking about Vivek Ramaswamy. Uh, Vivek, as we say, did very well. Actually, his name is Vivek, like cake. But I thought he was very good. I especially like where I said I was the greatest president in his lifetime and long beyond. That's pretty good. I said, are you sure he's running against me? But I thought he was very good. Uh So obviously Donald Trump loves Vivek Ramaswamy. Vivek, like cake. Oh, I'm sorry. He likes uh, Vivek Ramaswamy. Vivek, like cake. Okay. Uh, There's no (laughs) there's no doubt. (laughs) <laughs> that Donald Trump is thinking of naming Vivek Ramaswamy as Vivek, a, like cake. OK, he's thinking of <laughs> nominating Vivek Ramaswamy as his vice president. And Vivek is obviously, obviously auditioning to be Donald Trump's running mate. It's so obviously that this is what. Vivek is trying to, it's so obvious this is what he's trying to do. Vivek, like cake. Okay, sorry. Uh, Here is Vivek on uh, Meet the Press Sunday morning with Chuck Todd. And Vivek is dangerous. He's dangerous. He's just like Kenneth Cheesebro. He's just like Ron DeSantis. Harvard Law School, Yale Law School. They twist and they turn, they pivot, and they destroy not just our political discourse, but they end up destroying the lives of innocent, innocent Americans. Here is Vivek on with Chuck Todd on Meet the Press Sunday. A couple of questions you didn't get a chance to answer at the debate. Most of the candidates on stage Wednesday night said Mike Pence did the right thing on January 6th. Do you agree? I would have done it very differently. I think that there was a historic opportunity that he missed to reunite this country in that window. What I would have said is this is a moment for a true national consensus where there's two elements of what's required for a functioning democracy in America. One is. See, this is really dangerous stuff. I would have done it differently if he were vice president. He would have done it differently. There is no other way to do it. Mike Pence did it the way it's supposed to be. Continue, Chuck Todd. Done through the Senate. So what would you have done as with Mike Pence? You would have so not my capacity, certified the election? So in, in my capacity as president of the Senate, I would have led through that level of reform. Then on that condition, certified the election results, served it up to the president, yeah. President Trump, then to sign that into law. And on January 7th, declared the re-election campaign pursuant to a free and fair election. I think that was a missed opportunity, but that's the kind right. of spirit we're going to need to unite this country rather right. than sweeping those concerns under the rug. We don't need to unite the, the country. We can be divided as long as people have honest arguments. Vivek Ramaswamy is a very dangerous man, and he's using all the rhetorical skills he learned at Harvard Law to tear the Constitution apart, just like John Eastman and Kenneth Cheesebro. In my capacity as the president of the Senate, I would have done things differently. You are not allowed to do things differently if you're the vice president, who is also the president of the the Senate. It is a ceremonial position. You keep your mouth shut and you count the votes. 
But he has decided, Vivek Ramaswamy has decided to align himself with the worst of the worst. Criminals, criminals, Harvard Law School graduate. He is part of the criminal element from Harvard Law, who in direct defiance of the Constitution, insist Mike Pence had the authority not to certify the election on January 6th. You went to Harvard Law. You studied Article 1. You studied the 12th Amendment. Your criminal intent, your state of mind is to lie to the American people. And this automatically disqualifies Vivek Ramaswamy to run for office, and he should have his law license stripped for misrepresenting the Constitution of the United States. Bad guy, bad, crazy, made his billions. He was ambitious, still not happy. And now he wants to be vice president under Donald Trump. Bad, demented guy, Vivek Ramaswamy. Bad guy, bad, bad. This is Mercedes Schlapp. She joined the White House during Trump's first year as Trump's White House Director of Strategic Communications. Mercedes Schlapp, before she joined the Trump White House, she worked in George W. Bush's White House. In between working at those two White Houses, Mercedes Schlapp got paid handsomely as a lobbyist for the National Rifle Association, while serving as a vocal opponent to same-sex marriage. In 2012, Mercedes Schlapp responded to President Obama's support for same-sex marriage with a strongly worded column in U.S. News and World Report entitled, Churches Feel Persecuted by Obama. Because, she says, if gay People can marry. That's that's the persecution of Christians, the persecution of church going Americans. You see how they flip things. Gay people aren't the ones being persecuted. No, churches are the ones being persecuted. Religious people are being persecuted all because gay people want to get married how does a fevered mind arrive at there, at that spot? What's going on in Mercedes Schlapp's own marriage that she would find same-sex marriage a threat to her own? Is Mercedes Schlapp afraid that if same-sex marriage is suddenly legal, her husband Matt Schlapp is going to leave her for a man? If that's the case, and it appears to be, the problem is with your marriage, Mercedes Schlapp, not with same-sex marriage. Two men are happily married, so my religious freedoms, my marriage is under assault. How frail is your marriage, Mercedes Schlapp? How frail are your own religious beliefs? How frail is your own sexuality or your husband's sexuality? How frail is your belief in Jesus if all the things you hold dear are under assault just because two men are living happily ever after? This truly is mental illness. 
which is why she was asked to join the Trump White House. This is Metro Weekly, and they published a story when Mercedes Schlapp joined the Trump White House in 2017. The headline was anti-LGBTQ activist Mercedes Schlapp joins White House press office. Okay, the subheadline is conservative activists takes the view that advances in LGBTQ rights infringe on religious Americans' liberties. Right? Okay, let's read this from Metro Weekly. This is uh, talking about Mercedes Schlapp. Given her professional background, it is not shocking to learn that Schlapp has frequently taken the conservative position arguing against expansions of LGBTQ rights, instead preferring to paint Christians as a victimized class of people under attack by socially liberal policies. As such, she, like her husband, has been a vocal proponent of quote-unquote religious freedom legislation or executive actions that would provide exemptions for people who wish to refuse goods and services to others based on the seller's personal objections to same-sex marriage or homosexuality in general. So, as you can glean from that, Mercedes Schlapp has a husband. His name is Matt Schlapp. And aren't they an adorable couple? They met inside the George W. Bush White House back in 2003 when Matt Schlapp was working as W's White House Director of Political Affairs. Matt Schlapp replaced Ken Melman in the White House. Ken Melman was George W.'s White House Director of Political Affairs. He left to become chairman of the Republican Party, and he was replaced by Matt Schlapp. And Ken Melman, uh, together with Karl Rove in 2004, Melman and Rove ran the most homophobic election in American history. They did that by getting same-sex marriage on the ballot in several key battleground states, knowing conservatives, conservative Republicans, were furious with how Bush bungled the war in Iraq. Melman and Rove knew that conservatives by 2004 had had it with George W. Bush. They had had it with him for raising the debt, making government bigger, not smaller, as he promised. And of course, bungling the war in Iraq. But they knew that conservatives would come out to vote in 2004 if same-sex marriage was on the ballot. Vote your bigotry. And, you know, while you're in the booth, you know, while you're there, you might as well vote for George W. Bush. It worked. It worked. It's why Democrats want abortion on the ballot. So it worked. Bush was reelected and Melman and Rove taught Republicans that cultural issues get Republicans off their asses and to the polls. Like I said, homophobia worked in 2004. George W. Bush was reelected. There were only two little problems with this success story. The first problem is Karl Rove's father was a homosexual who came out of the closet, divorced Karl Rove's mother, 
moved to Palm Springs and ended up drinking himself to death because back then being gay did that to a man often. And the other problem with the success story is that Ken Melman, head of the Republican National Committee, the very ambitious Harvard Law School graduate, orchestrating the most homophobic election in American history, well, Ken Melman was a homophobic homosexual. Ken Melman, at the time, was in the closet. Ken Melman enjoyed making love to men. He loved men, just not enough to stop the men he loved from being persecuted and driven deeper into the closet or maybe even get beaten up or commit suicide because of Ken Melman's politics. Men died because of Ken Melman's politics, because that's what happens when you politicize homophobia. Gay men end up dying either at, at their own hands or the hands of somebody else. Like Governor Ron DeSantis, the virulent racist Ron DeSantis discovered at the vigil Sunday for the victims of the racist shooting in Jacksonville, Florida, elections have consequences, words have consequences, and policies have consequences. So Ken Melman, a homophobic homosexual, succeeded in 2004 in getting George W. Bush reelected. He and Karl Rove succeeded by putting gay marriage on the ballot in key battleground states. Ken Melman, the homophobic homosexual, uh, you know, Homophobic homosexuals are some of the most dangerous men in the world, especially ambitious ones, especially ones who went to Harvard Law, Ken Melman. They attempt to kill in others what they wish to kill inside of themselves. Hitler's SS was made up of men exactly like Ken Melman. One of the things that makes prison so dangerous here in America is they are too often controlled by homophobic homosexuals. Donald Trump's favorite lawyer, Roy Cohen, was a homophobic homosexual. They are among homophobic homosexuals remain some of the most dangerous men in the world, which is why these don't say gay bills are so lethal. Not just for the gay community. These don't say gay bills keep men in the closet. And keeping men in the closet makes them sick and violent and dangers either to themselves or others. Ken Melman, the homophobic homosexual who ran the Republican Party in 2004, finally came out of the closet in 2010 by doing an interview with The Atlantic magazine and said, yes, I am in fact gay. During the interview, Melman was asked about 2004, which was the most homophobic election in American history. And Melman explained that as chairman of the Republican Party, he was aware of the quote-unquote anti-gay consensus inside the Republican Party, but since he was part of the Republican leadership, he had an obligation, quote, to go along 
with the party consensus. That is what a degree from Harvard Law instills. It teaches you how to lose an argument with yourself. Look, I know that being in the closet is a sickness. Why, why do we have a picture of Ernst Rome, the head of Hitler's essay? I, I want a picture of Ken Melman, not Ernst Rome. There we go. Ken Melman, when he was chairman of the Republican Party, was a very, very sick man. And I get that. And I felt, you know, I feel sorry for you. Uh, you know, you lie to yourself and others. It's not healthy. It's sad. But it also makes you dangerous if you're ambitious, if you're a graduate of Harvard Law School and have a sense of entitlement and you want to move ahead no matter what. No, you can't have my other typewriter. It's a doggy dog world, said Kenneth Cheesebro while taking the exam at Harvard Law. Being in the closet and being ambitious, being a homophobic homosexual makes you sick. Look at Senator Lindsey Graham. Just like Karl Rove's father drinking himself to death, it appears that Senator Lindsey Graham might be drinking him to death. Uh, that's what I've heard. That's what people are saying. Those are the questions being asked. Is Lindsey Graham drinking himself to death because he won't come out of the closet? I hope it's not true, but that's the talk. That's what people are saying right now. Me, I'm saying that, but I don't know. But that's the talk. That's what I hear me saying. Lindsey Graham, who continues to tie himself up in knots, terrified Donald Trump is going to nickname him Miss Lindsey, is miserable because he's not living the life he's supposed to live it's no way to live, which is why so many in the closet take their own lives. So I am willing. Hang on. Once again, that is a picture of Ernst Rome, the head of Hitler's essay. Do not show me a picture of Ernst Rome, the head of Hitler's essay. I need a picture of Ken Melman, who was chairman of the Republican Party in 2004. Give me a picture of Ken Melman, not Ernst Rome, the head of Hitler's SA. There we go. Ken Melman. So I'm willing to give Ken Melman some slack, but not too much. Not too much. Ken Melman needs to publicly, not privately, publicly atone for what he did, not just to the gay community, but to our democracy. Now, I know Ken Melman. Ken Melman works behind the scenes these days, quietly fighting for the rights of the LGBTQ community. A little too late, Kenny boy. Ken Melman was a public figure. He committed his sins publicly. So he needs to go public with the sickness of being in the closet. He needs to warn the American people. He needs to apologize to the American people. He needs to tell the American people why he did what he did.
back in 2004. Coming out of the closet when you're no longer in politics isn't good enough, Ken Melman. Ken Melman needs to come out, not of the closet, he needs to come out against Ron DeSantis and the entire Republican Party because history is repeating itself, not as farce, but as tragedy. It is his responsibility, Ken Melman's responsibility to say, I don't want the Republican Party to do what I helped it do back in 2004. There is so much blood on my hands because of what I, Ken Melman, Harvard Law School graduate, did to get the love and appreciation from George W. Bush and get him reelected. I have some Jewish acquaintances from Baltimore, Maryland, who went to the same temple with Kenny Melman. Now, I didn't go to any weddings or bar mitzvahs that Kenny Melman attended, but I went to some weddings and bar mitzvahs with people who went to weddings and bar mitzvahs with Kenny Melman. So I'm one degree of Jewish separation from Ken Melman. And Ken Melman made a choice to be chairman of the Republican National Committee in 2004, just as he helped it begin to terrorize the homosexual community in order to get George W. Bush reelected president. I won't even bring up Iraq. By then, by the time Ken Melman, the homophobic homosexual, by the time Ken Melman had graduated from Harvard Law School, he had a resume. He could work anywhere. Many doors were open to him. Uh, he had a job in the White House. He didn't have to be chairman of the Republican National Committee. Nobody was forcing Ken Melman. Ken Melman wasn't a single dad who needed a job. It was his ambition, his raw, naked ambition that forced him to become chairman of the Republican Party. Unbridled ambition for more. Give me more, more, more. I, I graduated from Harvard Law. I want more. I'm not happy. More, more. Like Ramaswamy. I got a billion dollars. I went to Harvard Law. I'm still who I am. I want more. Maybe Trump will make me vice president. I want more, more, more. Now, look, there's nothing wrong with ambition or success unless it gets people killed. And Ken Melman, the homophobic homosexual, helped get gay people killed and encouraged them to commit suicide. He sent a message, Ken Melman sent a message in 2004 to, to gay men around the country, you're really not welcome here. You're, you're not, I mean, you can live here, but you're different and you can't enjoy the same rights as the rest of us. Ken Melman knew it was wrong, but Kel, Ken Melman wanted that gig even if it meant persecuting his own people, the gay community, which he refused to identify until six years later when it was too late. Now, I am certain that the homophobic homosexual Ken Melman was taught the very same values I was taught 
when I attended Hebrew school. I know when he went to Hebrew school, he was taught that positions of leadership come with a heavy responsibility and an even heavier price. Leaders are tested like Moses. And Ken Melman knows this. He was taught that at Hebrew school, just like I was. Those tests take the measure of a human being, and it's not like taking the bar exam. If you fail, you don't get to take this test again. You don't get to take it again and again until you pass. And, uh, you know, with the bar, you get to say, well, now I'm a lawyer. I finally passed the bar. Unless, of course, you're Jim Jordan or Ginny Thomas, who couldn't seem to pass the bar no matter how many times they took it. But I'm talking about the tests all of us are given in life that take the measure of who we are. These tests, these tests measure what we're made of, and they're very demanding and unforgiving. Ken Melman failed that test in 2004. He failed that test, and you don't get a second chance. It's not the bar exam. Harvard Law School graduate Ken Melman, you failed that test in 2004, and you have not atoned properly, Ken Melman. Now, I know Ken Melman thinks he's atoning to the LGBTQ community these days, but he's not atoning to the rest of America for what he did to our country, for what he did to political discourse and our democracy. He needs to atone and instruct the rest of this country on how to recognize the warning signs, how to understand why persecution of the LGBTQ community is so often a powerful tool in democratic republics. He needs to speak out vociferously against his fellow Republican, Ron DeSantis, today. And he needs to say, I did the same thing nearly 20 years ago because I was sick in the head. And Ron DeSantis is doing the same exact thing today because he is sick in the head. The Republican Party is sick and this all must stop. See, that's how you atone, Ken Melman. It's not good enough to quietly work for LGBTQ rights. As the former chairman of the Republican National Committee in 2004, it is your moral obligation to say it's happening again and it has to stop. Only you really have the immoral authority in the Republican Party to say that. Melman's excuse for going along with the persecution of the LGBTQ community while he was chairman of the Republican National Committee is unforgivable. And he tried to explain in the interview with Atlantic that, quote, I, as the leader, must follow the consensus of my party. Now, Ken Melman and I were taught the same things in Hebrew school. Uh, we were taught 
that going along with the consensus of your party, if it's wrong, is a sin. And Ken Melman needs to atone. Political consensus cannot be shaped by the mob. It must be shaped by sober, responsible leaders. Leaders who are not, like Ken Melman was at the time, incredibly sick in the head. Yes, the mob gets to vote, but they vote for leaders. And leaders get elected by shaping consensus. And Ken Melman knows that. It is the job of a leader to teach, to move people, to get them marching in the right direction towards sanity. That's what leadership is. And that's what Ken Melman was taught in Hebrew school. And it's what he was taught at Harvard Law. It is your job as a leader to show people the righteous, sane and true path. And if you're leading a party that is incapable of going in that direction, you have a moral obligation to get out. You don't need to come out, but you need to get out of that party. At the very least, Ken Melman, leaders must teach and form consensus through love, not through self-loathing, which is what Ken Melman was suffering from at the time. He was mentally ill. I understand that. He needed to come out of the closet. I understand that. But he was also ambitious and he knew better. He wasn't living in Alabama. He was a Harvard Law School graduate who had, who had worked in the White House and he wanted more. He wanted to be chairman of the RNC. And if Ken Melman in 2004, with his privilege, didn't have the wherewithal to come out of the closet and say this is wrong, then nobody had the wherewithal. He was tested in 2004 and he failed. Like I said, there are times in all our lives when we are tested, we are presented with two choices. One choice is the righteous choice, but it requires a certain type of faith to make that choice. Faith, not in whatever you, whatever God you believe in or don't believe, Faith in yourself and faith in your country, faith in other people. Because if you don't have faith in other people, take your religion and shove it where the sun don't shine. Not to have faith in other people is a sin. I detest Mike Pence. But on January 6th, he was presented with two choices. He made the right one because he had faith. The wrong faith, it's a homophobic faith, but at least a faith in America, a faith that if you do the right thing, it will work out. That is what faith is. In 2004, Ken Melman was tested, and at the time he had many, 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 many options in his life. 
Ken Melman wasn't lacking for creature comforts. He was being tested and he failed. It would have been easier for him, more than most, to have said to Carl Rove and George W. Bush, I don't need this job. I can't go along with this. It's wrong. He could have quit. He didn't have to come out of the closet, but he could have walked away and not persecuted his own community. To turn on your own people, all religions teach that's a sin. But even if he weren't in the closet, it still would have been a sin. In his leadership capacity, Ken Melman went along with the basest instincts of the mob. And like I said, in your life, you will be presented with many tests. Ken Melman failed the big one. And I don't care what his excuse is. I don't care that he eventually came out of the closet and, and, and worked for same-sex marriage and continues to lobby for the rights of the LGBTQ community. I don't care that he's doing pro bono work. He has not publicly atoned for the sins he committed against our democracy. And that is why history is repeating itself inside the Republican Party. One could argue it's less safe to be out of the closet today than it was back in 2004 when Ken Melman was persecuting his own community. He owes it to America. He owes it to the Republican Party to say, this is what I did in 2004. It was more morally reprehensible. Uh, and it's still morally reprehensible today. And here's how we stop it. The same way George W. Bush needs to publicly atone for Iraq. George W. Bush needs to say to the American people, I'm guilty. Here is what I did. And it was wrong. And I want to make it up to my country. So here, here is the blueprint. Here is how and why presidents lie their people into illegal wars. Here's how to recognize the warning signs. So what I did doesn't happen again. Instead, Bush, like Ken Melman, tries to atone for his sin privately. Not good enough. You committed those sins against the entire country. You, you committed those sons sins publicly, and you must atone publicly to protect future generations of Americans from your sins. But Ken Melman, he doesn't need to do that. George Bush doesn't need to do that. They're both privileged white males. Kenny Melman has a law degree from Harvard. W has an uh, uh, an MBA from Harvard. And in America, they get to move on. They do a little pro bono work uh, and they get to move on. The people whose lives they've ruined, they don't get to move on. They're stuck. Many, many in the grave. Kenny Melman and George W. get to move on. And again, don't tell me that Kenny Melman is working quietly, using his legal skills to fight for the rights of the LGBTQ community. I don't want to hear that. He doesn't just owe an apology to the LGBTQ community. George W. Bush is quietly painting portraits of the soldiers who came home wounded 
from his illegal invasion of Iraq. I've seen the pictures, George W. I notice you don't paint any of the wounded soldiers who came home without any faces. How about painting some of the soldiers who came home without a face because of your lie? Or is that too much for your paintbrushes to handle? That's not atoning. That's making yourself feel better. When Ken Melman works quietly with the LGBTQ community, he's making himself feel better. When George W. Bush paints wounded soldiers, he's making himself feel better. You need to publicly atone for your sins because you committed those sins in public. You have blood on your hands. You need to apologize to this entire country so it never, never happens again. And it's happening again because people like Ken Melman and George W. Bush refuse. They are incapable of publicly atoning for the sins. Now, I'm going to repeat this because I know this to be true. Ken Melman chose a public life of public service, which is why he needs to publicly atone for what he did. It's not good enough to work behind the scenes. You're doing that for yourself. Your sins were committed out in the open, and you have a moral responsibility to remind all Americans of what homophobia is, why it exists, and who spreads it. People like this guy, the man who replaced Ken Melman in the Bush White House, Matt Schlapp. Matt Schlapp, head of CPAC these days, like Ken Melman, very, very ambitious, also turned on by power, which is why Matt Schlapp, when he replaced Ken Melman, began getting all lovey-dovey with Mercedes Schlapp in the White House, and soon they married. After George W. Bush left office, Matt Schlapp became a lobbyist for the Koch brothers, and his wife, as I said earlier, lobbied for the National Rife Association. And in between broiling the planet and getting people shot to death, they raised a family. Matt Schlapp soon became chairman of the American Conservative Union. We're going to call it CPAC. That's how you know it. They host CPAC. And uh, it's the big conservative gala held in D.C. They, they hold them all over the country and the world, spreading the conservative message, one of Christian family values, especially that a marriage is between a man and a woman and only between a man and a woman. And this is why Matt Schlapp has run into some trouble because of these beliefs. On Sunday, the odious Ann Coulter, you know her as the conservative firebrand, Ann Coulter accused Matt Schlapp of being a groomer. That's a defamatory term used in right-wing circles, circles to accuse older homosexuals of grooming younger men for sex. And Coulter accused Matt Schlapp of being a groomer. 
Coulter made the accusation after the Washington Post reported on Saturday that the vice chairman of the board of the American Conservative Union, which runs CPAC, has resigned in protest. Charlie Garrow said he was stepping down and urged CPAC to launch a full-scale investigation into reports from male employees of the American American Conservative Union. They, They are complaining that they were sexually harassed and or sexually assaulted by the chairman of the American Conservative Union that hosts CPAC, Matt Schlapp. Charlie Garrow now becomes the third high-level CPAC official to resign this year in protest of Matt Schlapp's alleged sexual abuse of employees, as well as Matt Schlapp's mismanagement of funds, which seem to be spent on paying his legal fees to combat a major sexual assault accusation filed against him by a male staffer who was working for Herschel Walker's Senate campaign down in Georgia. Now, you know that we've covered that story in the past, and uh, and I'll return to it in a second. But there is now new reporting over the weekend on Matt Schlapp's sexualized behavior inside the offices of CPAC. According to new reporting from The Washington Post, two other men either working directly for CPAC or with CPAC have stepped forward complaining they were sexually harassed and or possibly assaulted by Schlapp. The Washington Post says that in 2017, a male staffer complained that during a work function, which involved alcohol, Matt Schlapp physically confronted him and tried to forcibly kiss him. The Washington Post reports that it has in its possession physical evidence to prove the assault took place. The Washington Post also reports of a similar incident with another man that took place in Palm Beach, Florida, while Matt Schlapp was traveling on CPAC business. In his resignation, this CPAC board member, Charlie Jero, said, quote, I will continue to pray that the difficulties they are encountering will be dealt with openly and honestly. He's talking about CPAC, not the victims. Never worry about the victims. These are conservatives. So he's praying for CPAC, not the victims. I will continue to pray that the difficulties they are encountering will be dealt with openly and honestly. I am calling on my former colleagues to authorize an independent investigation into the charges against Matt Schlapp to conduct an independent forensic audit of the organization's finances to obtain a written opinion of counsel that the organization is in full compliance with its own bylaws and all applicable law and to thoroughly review all the exit interviews of the large number of staff who have recently left. The large number of staff who have recently left. People quitting CPAC because of Matt Schlapp's behavior. The organization's finances, CPAC's finances, are a problem for Matt Schlapp. In May of this year, 
Bob Buprez. He was the treasurer for the American Conservative Union, which runs CPAC. Bob Buprez resigned, saying that he couldn't provide proper financial statements to the board in good conscience. In resigning, he said Matt Schlapp was exposing CPAC to lawsuits and possible criminal prosecution while creating a workplace atmosphere that results in people quitting. The Post also reported uh, over the weekend that Regina Breton, a former CPAC employee, has threatened to sue CPAC. She says she was fired in retaliation for leveling official complaints after being subjected to endless sexist and racist comments in the office. Wow, racism and sexism inside the offices of America's top conservative organization. Who could ever have imagined? As we reported earlier this year, in January, a Republican staffer named Carlton Huffman, who had been working on Herschel Walker's Georgia Senate campaign last year, Carlton Huffman filed a lawsuit in January accusing Matt Schlapp of sexual assault assault during Schlapp's visit to Georgia, where he was there to help on the Herschel Walker campaign. This is Carlton Huffman, and uh, he's paid a price. Mercedes Schlapp has been digging into his past. They try to ruin him. Huffman accused Schlapp of drinking to excess, then insisting they go back to his hotel room. And when Huffman refused, Schlapp, according to the lawsuit, began to pound Huffman's genitalia. Not grab, but pound. The the quote was, pound my junk and grope the rest of his body. The next day, according to the lawsuit, Matt Schlapp texted Huffman and said, will you pick me up? And Huffman said, I feel very uncomfortable for what you did last night. And according to the lawsuit, Matt Schlapp said in the text, I hope you can find it in your heart to forgive me. Huffman's lawsuit is going to trial and it's costing Schlapp a lot of money, but it doesn't seem to be costing him money. It seems to be costing CPAC money, which is why the treasurer of the American Conservative Union stepped down, alleging that hundreds of thousands of dollars donated to CPAC seem to be making their way towards Matt Schlapp's lawyer and not, you know, conservative causes like inviting Hungarian leader Viktor Orban to speak again before CPAC to remind us that marriage is only between a man and a woman. Remember Viktor Orban's address before CPAC last year? Marriage is between a man and a woman. He was invited to speak by Matt Schlapp. According to the Washington Post, CPAC is a nonprofit whose finances are supposed to be of public record. But Charlie Garrow, he's the board member who resigned Friday, reportedly Charlie Garrow requested that CPAC's general counsel, David Savavian, allow 
him to review the documents to determine how much of CPAC's money was getting spent on Matt Schlapp's legal fees. The Washington Post reports that Savavian, CPAC's general counsel, refused to provide the documents, which is in direct violation of Washington, D.C. law. D.C. law that states any board member of a nonprofit corporation, quote, shall be entitled to inspect and copy the books, records, and documents of that corporation. The Post reports that Savavian, he's the general counsel for CPAC, the Post reports that Savavian wrote an email that was accidentally sent to Charlie Garrow, the board member who was stepping down. Uh, Savavian, the general counsel for CPAC, uh, sent out a memo and he accidentally included this board member saying he was going to move to get Charlie Garrow kicked off the board. He put it accidentally put it in writing, according to The Washington Post, for Charlie Garrow to see. The implication being Charlie Garrow was making a stink about the finances. CPAC's general counsel, David Savavian, thought it would be prudent to kick him off the board. Instead of showing him the finances, get him off the board. Now, I don't know if David Savavian, CPAC's general counsel, actually decided to get Charlie Garrow kicked off the board of CPAC to hide the finances. I have no idea. Uh, and it does look like Charlie Garrow resigned on his own in protest Friday. But CPAC's general counsel, David Savavian, according to the Washington Post, refu refused to let Charlie Garrow see the finances. And he refused to talk to the Washington Post about CPAC's finances. And like I said, according to Washington, D.C. law, the finances are supposed to be of public record because CPAC is a nonprofit and there are supposedly laws governing nonprofits. And I would hate to think that the general counsel, the top lawyer for CPAC, David Savavian, wouldn't know what the laws are regarding regarding nonprofits like like uh, CPAC, because I have a lot of faith in David Savavian. He's a good lawyer. He is. Uh, I remember who David Savavian is. This is a press release from the United States Justice Department. I think this was 15 years ago. Former GSA chief of staff, David Savavian, sentenced for obstruction of justice and making false statements. And this is the pardon that Donald Trump granted David Savavian, the general counsel for CPAC. Can you see this? This is the pardon Donald Trump granted him in 2020. Turns out while serving as chief of staff for the General Services Administration, Right. That's a federal agency. They do a lot of buying of uh, material from subcontractors while serving as the chief of staff for the General Services Administration. David Savavian, who is now the general counsel for CPAC, he was indicted back in 2005 for making false statements and obstructing an investigation into the infamous lobbyist Jack Abramoff. I don't have time to go into Jack Abramoff. Uh, 
but uh, Fran- uh, Grover Norquist and uh, Ralph Reed from the Christian Coalition were involved with that lobbying and read about Grover Norquist and the Christian Coalition's Ralph Reed, how they were lobbying. Uh, I don't have time to go into it. David Savavian. Uh, after a series of trials, this is the general, the current general counsel for CPAC, David Savavian. After a series of trials, uh, convictions, then retrials, on December 19th, 2008, uh, at the retrial, Savavian, CPAC's general, current general counsel, was convicted once again of, among other things, perjury, and he was sentenced to a year in prison. And on June 26, 2017, the current general counsel for CPAC, David Savavian, was disbarred from the practice of law by the, uh, the United States uh, Supreme Court. He was not allowed to practice law in Washington, D.C., and he was disbarred from practicing law in the state of Missouri. So, you know, here's uh, here's the disbarment. Uh, I'll read this. this is Chief Justice of the Missouri Supreme Court, Patricia Breckenridge. Now, therefore, it is ordered by the court that the said David H. Savavian. I just want to read this because we never disbar lawyers and this makes me tumescent. So just indulge me for one second as we read the uh, disbarment declaration of the general counsel for CPAC, David Savavian. Okay, this was his uh, this is him being disbarred. In Missouri. Now, therefore, it is ordered by the court that the said David H. Savavian is hereby hereby disbarred that his right and license to practice law in the state of Missouri is canceled and that his name is stricken from the role of attorneys in this state. It is further ordered that David H. Savavian comply in all respects with Rule 5.27, procedure following a disbarment or suspension order, costs tax to respondent, I guess he has to pay it, has to pay the costs, and signed by Patricia Breckenridge, Chief Justice. I know that's a little dry, but it makes me wet. I enjoy seeing lawyers disbarred. So he was disbarred from practicing uh, law in Missouri, but his law license in Washington was eventually restored in 2018, and he was pardoned by President Donald Trump on February 18th, 2020. To his credit, uh, Savavian is not a graduate of Harvard Law, but he got his law license back, and now he's the general counsel for CPAC because they're a very, very forgiving organization They're very forgiving, not to their victims, but they're very forgiving to themselves. Uh, And they don't forgive their victims for stepping forth. You get fired for being a victim, Uh, but they do forgive the sinners, which is why I believe Matt Schlapp, 
the head of CPAC, will be forgiven. Unless he, you know, comes out of the closet and fights for the LGBTQ community. Uh, so I wouldn't worry about the 55-year-old Matt Schlapp, the married father of five daughters. Matt Schlapp is the married father of five daughters, which might explain why he got so sick of women and came on to all these guys. I mean, the poor man is married to, to a female woman and he has five female daughters. Your Honor, my, my client was clearly starved for the type of affection that only a man can provide another man. Come on. I mean, you know, I'm not a forgiving person, but five female daughters who are not men and, and a, a female woman wife, that's six to one. What chance did Matt Schlapp ever have? Look, uh, I believe we're born gay, but it's fluid. And there are certain circumstances that can cause a man to veer towards the opposite end of the spectrum, like prison, a nice bottle of Beaujolais, or a house filled with six women who are females. I bet they let Matt have a cat. In fact, I know I have some pictures of uh, the uh, the five the five female daughters who are women and his uh, female wife, who is also a woman. Uh, I have pictures of Matt Schlapp's male cat. They let him get a male cat, okay? And this is what they did. This is what they did. This is what the girls did to Matt Schlapp's cat after they neutered him. They took him in once, and they just wanted to make sure it was all gone. Go back for seconds. This is what they did to Matt Schlapp's cat. They let him have one. Look at that fishnet stockings on a male cat. This is you wonder. This was the, the cat before that ran away. Male cat. This is what the girls did to Matt Schlapp's male cat. So. Anyway, uh, he'll be forgiven. He'll do fine. Uh, I'm David Feldman reminding you to stay strong and protect the week. 